0: Great to be here with you all today, welcome, and uh, this is it, this is the finale, the grand finale as far as First Peter is concerned. Uh, we've spent 24 weeks, 24 messages in this book, and it's been uh, very uh, good, uh, commemorative uh, as well, as this is the last week, and you guys could all say that you were here the, the last Sunday of the first message, the first sermon series that we went through as a church, and it is somewhat bittersweet. Um, Bitter because we may not ever be back here as far as the life of a church is concerned or maybe the life of a preaching or teaching pastor. Um, Sometimes you just go through a book and you might not be back there for however long. Uh, So that's a little bit uh, bitter. Sweet because, again, it is the first sermon series that we went through as a book. And uh, you guys could all say that you've been a part of that. And so, also sweet because the Lord has been so gracious as far as bringing us through so many amazing truths through this book, through his faithful apostle Peter. So many um, powerful truths. And part of the reason that we chose First Peter um, as we look at almost a year ago when we were preaching and teaching through our vision nights. Um, we just kept coming back to the book of First Peter. And, and so many words, so many truths, and, and what are, what were some of these words that we navigated through in this very challenging book? Oftentimes people are like, did you know about First Peter? Do you know how challenging of a book that is? That's not what you teach through as far as a church plant is concerned, but um, it's, it's been very uh, just life-giving in so many ways, but the name of the sermon series that we, we came up with was unfading hope, and uh, we get that from verses 3 and 4 of the first chapter uh, where he states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, In fact, the, the first 12 verses of the first chapter of 1 Peter were dedicated to this beautiful inheritance that we have, a, a treasure that is being kept and guarded for us, greater than anything we will ever experience in this world. And, and then from there, we are given five challenging commands or imperatives with one kind of rising above the others when he states this. In verses 15 and 16, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So we can see that uh, this conduct, this holiness, what God expects from us as believers, should be a preoccupation of ours as followers of Jesus. In chapter 2, uh, we could see that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith, the foundation in which the foundation of the apostles and prophets has been built upon. It states in 2.6, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And this cornerstone will either be precious to you, precious to you as... uh, Christ being this cornerstone or it will be a stone of stumbling in which you trip over and a rock of offense that you will be crushed upon in disbelief. You're either going to recognize Jesus Christ as chosen and precious in belief or he will be a rock of offense in disbelief. In a day and age where the whole world is having an identity crisis, right? Right? We have some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, where the Lord tells us our identity, one of the most beautiful expressions of how the omnipotent creator of all the universe looks at you and looks at I. First Peter 2:9, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. And into the marvelous light. Beautiful passage of scripture. We then took an ascent or descent as far as how you view this topic of submission. I think we were in this topic of submission for about three or four weeks. So we were just joking around. I think we need to change the name of our church to Submission Church. Brian actually made a graphic for it. But uh, we were told how that we are called as followers of Jesus to submit to the governing authorities. To submit to the government and we joked around it's like the equivalent of me cussing from the pulpit, right? And so but we were told that we are called as followers of Jesus to come under the governing authorities with a caveat if they require us to sin. And and in that case we follow God rather than man, especially with some of these boulders that we can't get around and the topics of abortion, keeping the church open and the LGBT agenda. We also were told to submit to those who treat us unjustly, so hard, so counterintuitive to how we think and operate. We're actually supposed to come under those individuals that do us harm. And how are we to do that? How in the world are we to do that? And we're called and told to look at the example that has been set by Jesus Christ. And what does Peter say? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We tackled some verses for husbands and wives, every woman's favorite verse, and some of them, yeah, that's good. Um, Husbands or wives, submit to your husbands, and we talked about that at great length. We also talked about Husbands laying down their life for their wife so that their prayers may not be hindered, living with them in an understanding way. We also looked at a passage that we looked at the beauty of a woman who is not afraid of anything. We then tackled one of the most controversial verses in all of God's Word, just a mere 180 interpretations of this one verse, 1 Peter three nineteen. who, what, when, why, did Christ proclaim to the spirits in prison? And so, if you want some late night reading, you could do some other uh, interpretation. I think we covered four, so if you need the other 176, you know, be my guest. But we also talked about how to suffer and how to suffer well. We talked about suffering, suffering, and then more suffering. A refiner's fire. It is the rite of passage for a follower of Christ. As we look to a quote by James Rutherford, in the cellars of despair, this is where the king keeps his choicest wines. We're told we're not to be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar far. As you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The Lord's glory is revealed in the midst of our suffering. And then we had a quick 52-minute message on elders and deacons. And I apologize. I had my word count dialed up. I don't know what happened. But it was 52 minutes. And so I apologize if you were serving in kids that day. So, but uh, we really kind of leaned into what does God's word have to say with these biblical offices. And then last week we were so blessed by Travis as he hit on many topics, but um, really the one that I think landed with everyone humility and how I achieved it, right? And so, what a humble brag if I've ever heard one. We also looked at how we're to cast our cares upon him and how we are to deal with our adversary, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that's a lot. I mean, but that's 1 Peter. So many challenging topics. So many rich things to lean into as far as who we are to be and how we are to navigate this life as elect exiles here in a world that we are not of but from. Reverse that. And... This is where he has us. What a journey it's been. And now we have this beautiful conclusion with a beautiful promise. It is an anchor of hope in which we can cling to in the midst of difficult times and in the midst of difficult seasons. Personally, it's one of my wife and I's most favorite verses. It talks about the grace that the Lord lavishly pours out on us. It is a beautiful passage of scripture, so please turn with me as we conclude this book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5, verses 10 and 11, and then we'll circle back and look at verses 12 through 14 today as well. And this is what Peter wants to leave us with. He states, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, it is grace by which we have been saved. It is by grace in which we are able to live in this world. It is by grace which we receive this eternal kingdom, the eternal glory that you have promised us. Lord, you are the giver of grace. Grace upon grace as you tell us in John 1.16. And so God, allow this grace to be the fuel that allows us to endure suffering. God, allow even today as we've gone through so many messages in this powerful book, allow our thoughts and our mindsets to be changed and, and allow that to move towards our words and our actions and how we live our life. To your glory and we ask these things in your name, amen. So as we know and as we've said before, maybe in the past, the, the last words of an individual in their life are of great significance. Or maybe even the last words of someone writing a letter and how they conclude is of great significance. Students, they're all in students over there. But first service we said, don't forget about your conclusion when you're writing a paper, okay? Because it's very important. You want to do all this work and then all of a sudden you just kind of, yeah, and not much going on at the end. But even as we talk about our membership at our membership class, we, we talk about the finality of Christ's words in the Great Commission uh, they carry a whole lot of significance. And so, and so this is the case with Peter's letter as well. What is the final charge that he is leaving us with? What does he want us to remember? What does he want us to carry with us as uh, elect exiles living in this world? And it is this topic of grace. Grace. The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And now what does it mean that he is the God of all grace? We see other places in scripture where he is the consummate God over many other things. At the beginning of 2 Corinthians, we could see that he is the God of all comfort. We could see in Romans 14, Romans 15 and 16 and 1 Corinthians 14 that he is the God of of peace. We could see all throughout scripture that he is all powerful. So he is the God of all power. But the God of all grace means that God is the ultimate provider of grace. And so that's our first fill in. What this means is that he gives us all the grace that we need. He gives us all the grace that we need, and all grace comes from him. In other words, he is the only Giver of grace, and all the grace we receive is sufficient. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient. We have all we need when it comes uh, to God and his grace. And here's the thing, it serves a purpose. Uh, There is no longer now, because of this grace that has been given, given to us, there is no longer a record of death that hangs over us. There is no longer the wrath of God over us. We now are covered with the grace that has been poured out over us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ On the cross. And what is the byproduct of this? What do we receive? What do we gain from this grace? Well, it's an eternal glory. An eternal glory beyond all comparison. We have been called out of the, the grave of sin and death, and we have been called into, as we see in 2 Corinthians. 417. We have been called into this eternal glory as we see from our passage today. But in Corinthians it says, an eternal glory beyond all comparison. Nothing in this life will, will even compare to what is awaiting us in God's glory. He has looked at you. He has looked at me. He has looked at all of those who look to Jesus. And the Lord says, this one. Is mine. This one is mine. You are my workmanship. You are my beautiful creation. You are my masterpiece. In Ephesians 2, 6, it states that we will be raised up with him and that we will be seated with him in the heavenly places. And moreover, it's not only this grace that we receive the grace that we are called to at the moment of salvation. It is not only that grace that has brought us out of the darkness and into this marvelous light at that moment, that day, that time in all of our lives that if we look to Jesus that we have uh, professed Jesus Christ. But it is not only that grace that has been given to us, but this same grace is the fuel To allow us to endure trials and and toils and tribulation. We need to look at that grace. That is the same grace that is going to carry us all the way to eternity. A line from the hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. This grace that brought me safe thus far and grace. Grace will lead me home. Christian. Remember this grace. Don't take it for granted. Remember it. Reflect in it. Revel in it. The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. This is the target. This is the bullseye. This is the grand finale that Peter wants us to land at today. This is the conclusion of the letter. He wants us to see this grace and allow us to overlay it with suffering? How do we use this grace and how are we to take this grace when we are in the midst of a difficult time or a difficult season? How are we to look to this grace and allow it to carry us through these difficult seasons? Because there will inevitably be suffering to varying degrees in all of our lives, but what the Lord is trying to do, He is trying to accomplish a fortifying work in you and through you with an eternal mindset. He's trying to accomplish a fortifying work in you, within us and through us with an eternal mindset. This, this grace has been positioned in our life so that we can look at it. So when we go through a difficult time. We don't flounder, we don't fold, and we don't fall. But instead, when we face these difficult seasons of suffering, instead we stand firm, knowing that the Lord is doing a purifying work within us. The refiner's fire for for our own good and His glory. And oftentimes we need to hear this. We need to understand that there are purposes taking place unbeknownst to us when we go through these dark and difficult times in our life. Instead of just shaking the angry fist, instead of having a season of despondency where we're pushing God away, instead we need to say, Lord, I need more and more of you right now when I'm enduring this difficult season. I mean, when we look at Travis's message, message last week, what, it, what was it that Peter was addressing? It, he stated that your adversary, the devil, is, is wreaking havoc. He, he is looking for someone to devour, not only in your own life, but also in the lives of the brotherhood around the world. And our passage today starts off with this statement. And after you have suffered... It's saying that we will suffer. There's no getting around it in this life. One day we will all die. It's a thing that we're guaranteed of. There will be trials. There will be tribulations. There will be uphill battles. So he starts off by saying, just as he said to the church, the dispersed church 2,000 years ago, he states, and after you have suffered. He doesn't say, if you suffer, he states, and after you have suffered. And he follows that up with three very brief words. Three very brief words that demand an explanation. After a little while. After a little while, then, and after you've suffered a little while. And this isn't the first time we see this phrase either when pertaining to suffering. First Peter 1:6 states: In this you rejoice, so now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And this, this, my friends, is of great importance. It is of great importance. Why? Because when we are going through a difficult season, and maybe that season isn't right now for you or I, but we could take ourselves back to that difficult season. And what was our mindset? What were some of the questions that we were asking and some of those questions are always going to be this. What is it that I'm dealing with right now? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Haven't I been faithful? Or moreover, Lord, how long is this going to last? You may have heard that it's not necessarily the intensity of a trial that can be so debilitating. But oftentimes, it is the length, the length of the trial. It's almost like saying, Lord, when are you going to deliver me from this fiery trial? Oh, God, when is that day going to take place when I no longer have to deal with this horrific thing in my life? Am I going to have to deal with this? For the rest of my life. How long is a little while? And some of you might be asking that question right now. John, tell me. How long is a little while? And there isn't necessarily a bullet answer for that question. There's going to be times in our life that we don't have answers to any of those questions. But the important thing is this, because how we allow that narrative to play in our head, what we do in the midst of suffering by looking at that grace makes all the difference. We could either say, Lord, I need you, and I'm going to cling to you with everything I have because I have nowhere else to go. Or for some, it might result in spiraling out of control. Going down a road apart from the Lord. And then in that path could be a road of destruction, a road of carnage that oftentimes it could be so difficult to get back from. One commentator states, where we turn to when you're in trouble reveals much about your character. And I would say, where we turn to in the midst of suffering reveals much about our fortitude in Christ. And and this is what Peter is trying to say. To be a follower of Jesus with strength and resolve when you're going through suffering that you know that the Lord is with you. He is with you all the while and He will carry you in your time of need. A little while can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? (laughs) I mean, personally, I don't consider any time on a treadmill a little while. Anybody with me, right? So it's just like, yeah, I'm uh, all about running outside. Actually, I'm not about that either. Um, But, yeah, and I know you're supposed to put something over the time, right? So you don't see it, but it's just, for whatever reason, that is suffering for me, uh, just running on that treadmill, but... um, I had lunch with my friend Sam this past week and he said he's got like an app or a program or a new treadmill or whatever and he gets to run with people and has this beautiful scenery. I'm like, that's good for you. You do you. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, but, but a little while could mean so many different things to so many different people, right? Does a little while mean a season of time? Or does a little while mean my entire time on this earth? Yeah, with, with these verses again, Peter is trying to direct us to have a good grasp on this topic of eternity. This life, as we are told in James, is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. This life is but a grain of sand on the beach of eternity. So we need to have that eternal mindset when it comes to suffering in this life. So Christian, whether our trials are a few moments, a few decades, or for the rest of our lives, it is still a little while on the canvas of eternity. It's so hard to see that at times. But one day we will look back on this life and it will be a light momentary affliction. But there is another side to this as well. And we can answer this question, John, how much is a little while? It is a both and. Things may be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established in eternity. But there also will be a partial fulfillment of those things on this earth. There will be removals of trials as the Lord sees fit in which you are currently enduring. And why would we say this? I'll look at the life of Peter. That was Peter's life. What do you think Peter was thinking through when he was writing these words? He knew what it meant to suffer for a little while, and he knew what it meant to be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. He denied Jesus three times. He flunked the biggest test, flat on his face, the worst way possible. He he was even told, this is what you will do. No, I won't. No, I won't. And that's exactly what he did. But the Lord is so gracious, is he not? He said, Peter, upon this rock, Petros, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we saw this great resolve, I would say more so than any of the other apostles, maybe next to Paul, of him enduring beatings, imprisonment, persecution, suffering, and still he endured, leading thousands upon thousands to faith in Christ throughout the book of Acts. So whether a little while means a temporary season of suffering, or maybe the Lord is allowing a season of suffering Like his faithful servant Job, who suffered unbearably. Or Paul, who prayed three times to remove this thorn and it wasn't removed to our knowledge. But regardless of how the Lord answers our prayers, regardless of how we think they should be answered, we have to trust and know that the Lord is sovereign and that he is faithful. He is faithful. He gives us just enough grace to endure the suffering that we have to endure. Oftentimes, this crushing weight of the trial, the crushing weight of the suffering that we have to endure, we have to have this right perspective because what are we told? That crushing weight that we are going through, maybe even right now today as you sit in this room, one day it will be replaced by an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison with unspeakable majesty and so whether it is on this side of eternity or whether one day in his presence we are promised he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away And that's what it means to have an eternal mindset. We are not governed by the tyranny of time. We are not subject to time. The brevity of this life, it pales in comparison to the eternal kingdom that we are promised. This unfading hope. This imperishable inheritance that we have been promised. And as we look to these words in our verse, how? Do we receive this grace? How does the Lord give us this grace? This is another question that we are answering here. How does God give us this grace? And we could see from our passage that he restores, he confirms, he strengthens and establishes you. This is somewhat of a similar rhetorical escalating crescendo, which all speak into this. That we are to have strength. That we are to have Resolve that the Lord will be there for you in your time of need. This is where steel is hardened. This is where gold is purified in the seasons of suffering and despair. This is where the Lord does the mightiest work in the followers of Jesus. How does God give us this grace? Well, he restores He restores, which means to join together or to take what is broken and mend it together. It's almost as if you were fortifying the walls of a sinking ship or if you were to take a broken bone and set it and mend it together. The Lord will restore us when we are broken according to his purposes. The faithful follower of Jesus The faithful follower of Jesus does not arrive at heaven unscathed. There will be battle wounds, there will be battle scars, there will be a toll, there will be a price. Just as Travis talked about last week, we have to at times humble ourselves ourselves Under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, you may be exalted. A lot of us deal with this issue of pride, saying, Lord, I'm going to figure this out on my own. But the Lord can't do a restorative work by putting the broken pieces back together. When you say, I'm going to do this on my own, we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I can't do this. I need you To put me back together. And here's the thing. If you haven't endured a season of suffering. While clinging on to the Lord yet. Or you haven't been in the depths. In the cellars of despair. At some point in your life. This is why these words are of great importance. Because one day you will. One day you might be there. And it's of great importance. So when the trial comes, you will know that the Lord is still working. The Lord is still working in our trials. James Stewart, a Presbyterian Scottish pastor, states In love's service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. In love's service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. And this next one that the Lord promises to give us this grace is that he will confirm us. And this word means to stand firm, to be fixated, to be inwardly committed and immovable. It is through Christ and only through Christ that we are able to stand. Stand firm, as we were told in Ephesians 6, stand firm in the strength of his might. This word confirms means that we are to do exactly that. We can't stand alone. We can only stand firm through him. And, and oftentimes, this is where we need to land. Again, just this is, these are all similar things that the Lord gives us, but we can't stand on our own. We, we have to say, Lord, I need you. Deliver me. I can't endure this. I'm fading, and I'm fading fast. Deliver me from this, and this is exactly what he does. Amen. Psalm 18:2, "The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We can stand firm in Him. He will confirm us. When we are faithless, He is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. And this third. Thing that the Lord will do to us is to strengthen. He will give you strength from within. Again, this is Peter looking back to his life and what took place. How was the Lord strengthening him when he was able to look back in hindsight and pen these very words for us today? What are we told in Luke 22 30, 31, 31, and 32? Simon, Simon, Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. You will go through sufferings and trials, Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And oh, how Peter did that. The sustaining rock in so many areas at the beginning stages of our faith. Peter did indeed fail. But through his sufferings, through his failures, he persevered to the end. And this final thing that the Lord gives us is he will establish us. This word, themelios means foundation or fundamental. It references something secure and permanent. Yes, as we have talked, as ad nauseum, there will be times that we suffer There's going to be seasons of loss. There's going to be seasons of sickness. There's going to be seasons where things are taken away from us that don't make any sense. And the Lord wants us to see that He is faithful. He will establish you. It might not always be the way we think it's going to be, but this is a promise that he will establish you. He will place you back on the firm foundation that you once stood. And as we can see from verse 11, Peter ends with a word of doxology. Through all of this, Through everything that Peter has said, through this entire book of his letter to the dispersed exiles, he is saying this, God receives all the glory. God receives all the dominion. God receives all the majesty. We bow down and worship. This word dominion calls us to recognize God's sovereignty and power. And as we remember from last week, again, we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in the midst of our suffering, through that, we could shine the light of Christ. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And still Peter has a couple words. His closing uh, conclusion, he he states this by uh, Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon... Who is likewise chosen sends you greeting, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So many commentators and critical analysis of this text would say this is where Peter he he took the the pen from his scribe Sylvanus, also known as Silas, who was with Paul on his missionary journeys. This is where Peter took the pen back and said, Hey, I'm going to close this out. He had somewhat of a personalized ending here. He he states, she who is at you at Babylon most would agree that this is talking to about the church of Rome. Uh, Mark, this is John Mark, his spiritual son. And then um, we see this kiss of love. Redeemer, let's not do the kiss of love, okay? Let's just do like handshake, fist bump, side hug, okay? But I did want to finish By drawing your attention to verse 12, where he states, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And he wanted to repeat this. Grace upon grace, the God of all grace, will allow you to endure these difficult seasons of your life. It's the same emphatic, summative point. What are we to do with this grace? Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace that the Lord gives us. Stand firm in the Lord's amazing grace as you behold your salvation. Stand firm in the Lord's amazing grace as we look to eternity. Stand firm in the Lord's amazing grace as we look back at our entire life and look at all of the things That he has delivered us from. Stand firm in the Lord's amazing grace as we take the time to truly count our blessings. All the things that the Lord has blessed us with that we so easily take for granted. And stand firm in the Lord's amazing grace as you face the fears, the anxieties the sufferings of this life and hold on to the promise that the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ that he will restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, it is by your grace that we are here in church it is by your grace that we will be with you one day for all of eternity God again allow us to remember, reflect and revel in this amazing grace and God as we take communion allow us to examine Confess, repent, but allow us to reflect and remember this amazing grace that you have given us, Lord, that we may never take it for granted, God, but we, may, we would remember it and we would live through this grace all the way to eternity, regardless of what this life brings, regardless of the toil that we have to endure, Lord, we have an eternal kingdom. And for that, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the dominion. God, keep us close to you. Hear our hearts of desire. God, help us to celebrate this amazing grace as we sing this beautiful hymn. Amen.